0: All right. Um, If you would turn in your Bibles uh, first to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Paul has uh, spent his time in Romans uh, expositing uh, and explaining and proving the gospel of grace. And he gets to Romans chapter 12 and he begins to give us the how we should now live portion of the book. And uh, then at the end of Romans chapter 12, which I'd just like to read a section of, uh, Paul gets very um, practical, Uh, almost seems too practical. But uh, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and hear what he says there. It says, "'Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good,' Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he thirsts, give him a drink, For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul gives a long list there um, in a handful of short sentences of what we are to be um, um, uh, giving ourselves to. Kindness, generosity, um, hospitality. You know, in light of uh, all that has been said, how should we live Um, Well, give yourself to these things, like really give yourself to it. And then he says at the end, um, you can give yourself to these things because uh, you can leave room for the wrath of God. He's got that under control. He's going to handle that. You can put it away and uh, you can really spend your life on these matters. Uh, Just to drive that home a little further, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter Five, and uh, you're going to hear people crying at the beginning of this chapter and singing at the end of the chapter. And they're crying at the beginning because there is no one who can make things right. There is no one who can straighten what's bent. There is no one who can um, destroy what is uh, wicked and uh, insidious. And there is no one who can redeem uh, and save. Um, It's too broken. It's too wicked uh, and its roots are too deep. And then we see Christ. So Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Here is uh, God's plan of judgment and salvation. This is what ought to happen. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome So as to open the book and its seven seals, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if it were slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen. And the elders fell down and worship, Um, they can give themselves to the worship and service of God because there is one who is worthy to break the seals, to open the scroll, to destroy that which is wicked, to straighten that which is bent, to redeem from every nation, tongue, tribe, um, a people for himself. Uh, so with that, uh, Psalm 76, this is more reading than maybe you're used to at the beginning of the sermon, but, uh... and our point is going to be, um, you know, we can really give ourselves to the service of God, and the reason we can give ourselves to the service of God is because God is going to take care of uh, the rest. And he has, Uh, and he's going to do it completely, and he's going to do it thoroughly, and he's going to do it better than you could do it, uh, more thoroughly than you could do it, and you you don't have to concern yourself with that. You can really concern yourself and confine your efforts to those um, indicatives, those imperatives rather. Uh, So Psalm 76, Um, for the choir master on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song God is known in Judah, and his name is great in Israel, and his tabernacle is in Salem, and his dwelling place also is in Zion, and there he broke the flaming arrows and the shield and the swords and the weapons of war. Selah. You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered, and they sank into sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob... Both rider and horse were cast dead, or into a dead sleep. You, even you, are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save the humble of the earth, Selah, for the wrath of man shall praise you. With a remnant of wrath you will gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless now the reading and uh, teaching, preaching of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, instruct our minds uh, to understand what you have here written and uh, the truth of it. Uh, that we would have a correct understanding of what you 've said, um, but Lord, that you would also give us an understanding of our own hearts and our thoughts and our practices and our habits, uh, that we might see clearly um, what uh, what needs to be brought into conformity to what is here taught, Lord, that our anxieties would be calmed, that uh, our uh, fears would be uh, set aside. Lord, that we would have the courage to practice those things that you've given us to do, um, trusting you to take care of your part. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I wanted uh, to look at this psalm um, for, uh, for some years now. There were a handful of uh, lines in the psalms that stuck out and uh, they, they niggled, like, what does that mean? Uh, psalm 16, uh, which says, um, towards the end of the psalm, my inmost self teaches me all through the night. And you sing that and you think, well, we know it's true, whatever it means. Uh, I wanted to uh, get around to Psalm 16 at some point, not just the beginning of the psalm, as good as it is, but uh, you know the rest of it as well. Um, uh, it's another... Uh, Psalm 45, which uh, many of you are familiar with, the wedding psalm of the king, but round about verse 3, it says, uh, your right hand will teach you marvelous things. So someday, I want to take a look at that. But here in Psalm 76, there is a line that uh, maybe you caught it. Uh, I've always found interesting. It says, uh, the wrath of man shall praise you. And we can probably guess at that one. And then it goes on to say, with The remainder of wrath you will gird yourself, or you are girded with what remains of wrath. Um, Maybe that evokes some images in your mind, Uh, maybe only question marks. And that's where uh, I first decided I wanted to take a look at Psalm 76 and um, see if I was right about what I might have thought, but also figure out that curious line. Um, These... Words from Revelation 5, from Romans chapter 12, and we could have gone to many, 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 many other places in the scriptures to read similar um, directives as well as assurances of the Lord's uh, salvation and judgment. Uh, but then in the Psalms, we, we get them in a special way. We get them um, not merely in instruction, but also in, in song, in, in poetry, in effective artistic Statements of uh, evocative truth. And the Lord doesn't just, uh, you know, an army doesn't just march on its stomach, it also marches on its songs and uh, the things it repeats to itself and it tells itself over and over again and it assures itself of what we do and who we are and what we're going to do. And uh, the Lord gives us a set of songs. And these songs not only become, you know, um, doctrinal convictions, uh, but they also become identifying anthems. Um, they tell us who we are. They tell us what we do. They tell us what we can expect when we go in. Uh, you know, there's a, a song for every unit of the army, right? Or every uh, division of the army. Uh, maybe you can sing some of them. And uh, and we need, we need these songs. I can remember years ago sitting in church, uh, this is maybe sophomore year of college, so uh, going back a few years, and um, that particular week, the pastor was preaching, and someone came up on the uh, the platform where he was preaching in the middle of the sermon, and sort of got his attention and whispered in his ear, and he stopped and he said, "We're going to pray uh, a family of our missionaries, and I can't remember the country that they were in at the time, uh, but that the previous evening, uh, guerrillas." Um, uh, soldiers had broken into their home, had um, tied up the men and beaten them, had ravaged the women and wives and daughters of the family, and uh, they were still missing. They weren't sure where uh, part of the family was, and uh, and so we're going to pray for them right now. And he begins leading in prayer, and, um, and he begins praying, you know, prays for the family, for safety, prays for uh, the sons and the daughters and the recovering of, um, of those who are still missing. And then he begins praying for the salvation of these soldiers and that they would come to know their their, their, uh, their need for Christ and that, that the Lord would be generous. And I'm sitting there in the pew and I'm sitting next to a woman who I'd gone to high school with and just two weeks earlier she had been attacked in her home in a similar manner and she's weeping as, as the prayer is going on and I'm not praying because I'm angry, and I'm finding something wrong. Now, maybe you don't, and that just shows your heightened level of sanctification from my college uh, self, but it, it felt at least like something was missing. Not that there was something wrong with praying for the salvation of the criminals or for the safety of the family. That was altogether not easy to do, but uh, right. But something was missing. It, it was a half a prayer in a sense. And it was a half a prayer because uh, the, the prayer is, Lord, um, let them turn and seek your face or let them be destroyed. Um, either judge them in Christ or judge them and bring them down and no longer let them continue to break, steal, destroy, and murder Um, save, protect. And Psalm 76 gives us some pretty strong assurances in that way. It is, it tells us just exactly who our Lord is and what he will do. And it begins and it says, God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in Salem. His dwelling place also is in Zion. There he broke the flaming arrows, the shields, and the sword and the weapons of war. It says that um, that God is known in Judah. It's going to use the word Judah. It's going to use the word Israel. It's going to use the word Salem. We might say God is known in the midst of His people. God is known um, uh, in His church, in His gathered assembly. Those various, uh, Judah, of course, was uh, the name of the southern, given to the southern kingdom, but this is, I think, written before the uh, division of the kingdom, so uh, it's speaking of uh, that area uh, where uh, Jerusalem was. Uh, Speaks of Israel, the name of what was eventually the northern kingdom, but again, before the split, this was the name given to the nation. And Salem which was the name of Jerusalem when it was still a Jebusite stronghold before it was taken by Israel in the Promised Land. Uh, but these lang- the, these various words are of the place that God promised to gather and meet with His people, um, and it was specifically in Jerusalem, in the temple, where God said to His people, "You know, He never claimed to be a regional deity. He never claimed to have more power in Israel or in Judah or in." Jerusalem than he did in other places. Um, it was very clear, uh, even from the inception, when he brought his people out of Egypt, uh, when he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, um, that he is the God all. Heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. You see in verse 8, he caused judgment to be heard from heaven. This is where he sits. But it was in Jerusalem where the Lord said, you can you can be sure that when you come here and when you bring the sacrifices in Christ, my son, your, your Messiah, that you will find me. I will meet with you here. And this will be the place. Your prayers will clearly be heard in my, in my presence. Um, and this is what we are said to be as the church. Jesus says to the woman at the well, and not in this, not in this mountain or in that mountain, but wherever my people gather in spirit and in truth, Right? Um, this is the heavenly Jerusalem that we've come to. And it says there that God is known in Judah, that we know the Lord. And there's a sense in which nobody doesn't know the Lord. Uh, Romans chapter one, if we were to go to the beginning of that book, says that uh, what may be known of God, uh, his invisible attributes, his, his power is clearly known from what has been created. That, so that no one is without excuse. No one can say, um, I didn't know. Uh, God doesn't believe in atheists. Uh, every person, based on the way they have been knit together, they have been created, the, uh, the testimony of the world around them, um, they know God is there, God is powerful, God is good. Um, uh, they may not know much more, and they don't know enough without the scriptures uh, to know more of who he is and uh, his salvation. Uh, but they also know what is right and wrong. But uh, that's not the sort of known we're talking about. We're talking about a known that is more like uh, God is is known well and God is, uh, is loved. Uh, when the Lord says that uh, many on the last great day will say, Lord, Lord, uh, didn't we cast out demons and perform miracles in your name? And the Lord will say to them, go away from me. I never knew you. Uh, the word there, known, doesn't doesn't mean God is saying, I'm suddenly realizing there's a bit of a, a blank spot in my omniscience, and uh, we haven't met, and uh, you are in fact a portion of my creation that I, up until this moment, had no knowledge of. He's saying, we don't, we don't know each other. Um, we're not family. Um, we're not close, and, uh, and you don't know me. There is no relationship between us. Uh, you weren't doing this in my name. And here it says that God is known in Judah, that we know who God is, and we love him. We don't love a God of our own making. We don't love a God of our own imagining. We don't uh, simply uh, think of him the way we would like to think of him and love that. Think of him like ourselves and love that. But we know him for who he is. Tim Keller, in his book on uh, the, the meaning of marriage, he says, uh, to, be, uh, to be not known and loved is meaningless. You know, this is sort of the infatuation when we first meet someone and, uh, and you know, they're all of our dreams come true. They're everything I want them to be. Um, to be not known and to be loved is meaningless. Um, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. That when you find out who I am, you won't love me, you will reject me. Um, but to be known and loved is our greatest fear hope and desire, Uh, that the Lord who knew you better than you knew yourself, who knew the depth of your sin and what you were trying to hide and even what you didn't know you needed to hide, uh, but what he knew and he loved you and he sent his son to die for you, to pay for that which you confessed, that which you hid, and that which you forgot about, and he loved you. That's what we want. And that we, in turn, know the Lord to be who he is and to who he says he is and love him for it. God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in Salem, and his dwelling place also is in Zion. And this this uses the word tabernacle or tent or his his dwelling, um, his den, his lair. That sounds somewhat... uh, Dangerous, but I think that's the point. Maybe lair or den is uh, is maybe a, a, a more evocative. Like, um, if you get near a bunny hutch, you're not very worried, right? But if you get near the tiger's den or the dragon's lair, yeah, you're 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 treading more carefully. I remember years ago seeing a Discovery Channel. Um, what did that it? show and um, it's a group of scientists and they're moving through the forests of Siberia you know it's the white bark trees that are you know a hundred years old and this big around because of the you know one month summer and they're uh, they're moving through this forest and they've got their listening equipment on and they've uh, you know their little half round uh, uh, sound you know devices for hearing sound far off and they're they're talking about the fact that they're going to find uh, the new baby tigers, um, and they're going to tag their ears for study, or this and that, and and you know they're being careful. They know that there is a uh, you know twelve hundred pound cat uh, moving around in the area, hunting probably, but uh, they're not at the they're not at the the den, um, and so they're kind of walking and listening. But then they get there, they they get to the den, right? And now they're in the lair. And first, you want to hope mama's not there when you get there, uh, so you can get in and tag the ears. But uh, you can bet they left some sentries outside, and that they were on high alert at that point as they're uh, uh, tagging the ears of these uh, baby tigers, right? And why are they being so careful? Why are they suddenly so nervous? Because they're now in the lion's den, right? They're in the tiger's lair. They're in the place that uh, uh, she will re- retreat back to and resort to and defend with everything she has, those she holds most dear. Uh, nothing will stop her. Nothing will turn her away. She's not going to get halfway back and say, oh, there's a group of men. I better leave it and start somewhere else. It's not going to happen. And this is, the, this is the language, right? There he made his dwelling place. There he made his tabernacle. There he broke the flaming arrows and the swords and the weapons of war. Uh, the language there, the flaming arrows, the swords, the shields, the weapons of war. Uh, it's, you know, uh, no matter how sharp your sword is or how long your sword is, it's hard to defend against the, uh, the arrows, right? Because the arrows come at you from 80 yards away. Um, And those, those are no problem. He breaks them. Uh, The sword, uh, dangerous as it is in the hands of a skilled warrior, hand-to-hand combat, he breaks them. The shields, even the defensive, uh, that which seems to make it so imposing and unstoppable and defensible, um, gets destroyed. Uh, And that which makes uh, the enemies of God um, the lies, the temptations, uh, so dangerous, are, are are not a problem. They will be dealt with and put away. Uh, the temptations that seem to drag our children off, the um, uh, the allurements uh, that, uh, or the philosophies that seem to uh, twist the thinking of our nation and undermine. Uh, the scriptures, um, the uh, PhDs, and the books, uh, and the television, and the media that seem to make it such an imposing structure that cannot be undermined, all of that broken, destroyed, put away. I mean, we live in this sort of fog where uh, things seem very strong that aren't strong, you remember uh, the the silver chair by c s Lewis and uh, you know the children in their swamp diggle the swamp diggle wiggle something like that they go underground to the the deep city to find uh, the prince who's been uh, captured and while they're down there um, the queen of the underworld begins uh, uh setting some perfume off that sort of uh, hypnotizes and numbs them a little bit. And then she begins arguing with them about the fact that the kids are saying, we're from the world above. And she goes, let me get this straight. You're from a world where there's no roof and nothing to keep you from flying up into space. How ridiculous. You want me to believe that? You're from a world where there's a giant ball that hangs in the sky and never falls down. And it heats you. You want me to believe this? And she, can, you know, she goes on and C.S. Lewis creates this amazing scene where by the end of it, you're feeling somewhat sheepish that you think it's possible to live in a world where there's no ceiling and a giant ball hanging in the sky, right? And the children begin wondering, like, maybe we're not from up above and maybe these things we've always known to be true really aren't. And, uh, and as they're sitting in this underground world, uh, they're convinced that maybe, maybe there is nothing up there. And it seems very convincing and then suddenly the swamp diggle stomps on the uh, fire and uh, says this is ridiculous and uh, and they start of snap out of it and there's a day we're going to snap out of it we're going to rise above the mist the fog uh, the smog of this world and see that uh, that which seems so dangerous and so imposing and so unstoppable never was and we're going to look back and wonder why we ever thought it was silly that there was no sky or sun or that there was no god in heaven or why these theories ideas philosophies and temptations ever held any sway at all and so it goes on i mean there's the there's the 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 the, the foundational statement of this psalm there there around his people in his den he destroyed and Uh, made void all of the dangers. But it goes on, it says, "'You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered, they sank into sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast dead into a dead sleep. You, even you, are to be feared, and who may stand in the presence once you are angry?' This is uh, one of the first other lines that caught my attention. You are more majestic than the mountains of prey. Now, I don't know much about Texas mountains. um, And I'm kind of partial to Pennsylvania mountains, to be honest with you. Colorado's not bad. Um, You know, tall and rocky. Um, But back in Pennsylvania, we've got mountains. I mean, not only about 2,000 feet high, I suppose, above sea level. So maybe you wouldn't call that a mountain, but... Uh, they 've got uh, they 've got oaks and they 've got maples and they 've got hickories and they 've got uh, beech and they 've got uh, below that we 've got uh, mountain laurel and uh, rhododendron and uh, all sorts of low brush and below that we 've got moss and ferns and below that we I mean it 's just it is thick and you know we 've got uh, deer we 've got uh, bear we 've got uh, you know it 's it's full. It's full of life. And you look at this and you say, You, Lord, are more resplendent than the mountains filled with prey. And, you know, my, my Appalachian mind thinks that what an apt image of the glory of God is. The, the beauty of these mountains filled with elk and deer. And However, I don't think that's the point of this verse at all. Uh, and maybe we see that because the next two verses seem to um, uh, restate the idea. And it's not... Elk and white-tailed deer at all. It says, uh, "You are more resplendent than the mountains of prey, and the stout-hearted were plundered, and they sank into a sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. And at your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a dead sleep." the The idea is how the Lord destroyed that which was threatening His people, um, and so the idea there: "You are more resplendent than the mountains filled with prey." As much as the Psalms like to describe the uh, glorious height of Jerusalem, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that high, even compared to some of the mountains around it. Uh, what was glorious and what made it so great was the, the, the special presence of God meeting with his people. Um, and so the mountain not being as high as it might, uh, being surrounded on all sides by uh, enemies was a reality. Um, Having enemies in the high ground is not the ideal situation. And uh, having uh, the city surrounded uh, by enemies in the mountains all around, the enemies who make us a prey, you are more glorious, Lord, than uh, the mountains when they are filled with those who make us a prey, uh, with those who prey upon us. That seems to be the idea. Um, and it's, in fact, it is this line that makes many people think that uh, this psalm is coming from the time of the Assyrian invasion when Sennacherib Its armies surrounded Jerusalem, but it's a psalm of Asaph. So I think it just applies really well to that period of time and to millions of other periods of time throughout the history of the church and your life. And you can look at the enemies all around. You can look at what is oppressing and threatening to destroy and say, you are more glorious and resplendent than all of the enemies on the high ground around me. And it goes on to repeat that. The stout-hearted were plundered, and they sank into sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. And at your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse, were cast into a deep sleep. The last verse there, number six, is uh, recalling uh, the coming out of Egypt, which you'll read in a few more chapters in Exodus, uh, whenever the one of the uh, greatest kings of the earth and uh, one of the greatest armies of the earth of that time uh, were... Suddenly and finally destroyed beneath the waters as Israel passed along, and the women uh, sang with their tambourines. Uh, It says here that the stout hearted were plundered, they sank into sleep. Uh, Those who uh, are very brave, battle hardened, you know, those who don't cry before the fight. Uh, those who march in with their head held high, those with the confidence of lots of ticks on their belt, uh, those who were cold, uh, uh, steely-eyed, cold-blooded killers. And they sank into a deep sleep. And there are times in Scripture where sleep means sleep, and there are times in Scripture when sleep means death. And uh, they went to sleep with their fathers. Or one of, uh, two of David's mighty men who are called the, the sons, and I'm, I, I keep meaning to look this up, but I think it's Nefesh or something. It, uh, the sons, and it just gets transliterated in most English Bibles as if it's someone's name, but I think the word there is sleep. They're called the sons of sleep. I don't think it's because they napped a lot. It was because what did they do when they went into battle? Uh, lots of people took a dirt nap at the end of them. None of the warriors could use their hands. These are the men. these are the men who don't go into battle uh, uh, not only they don't go in shaking, but they don't come out shaking. These are men who have uh, I don't, have you maybe you've been in a fist fight before hopefully you haven't been in a fist fight for a while. maybe this guy um, but something happens once the confrontation either you know if depending on who we are, in the middle of the confrontation, you find you know, this sort of thing taking place, right? You're sort of trying to stand firm, and the hands begin to shake a little bit. And if it's not happening during it, uh, afterward, you walk away, and the, the adrenaline starts to run out of you, and um, this is what happens, right? Well, we don't want that for our warriors. We want That's what basic training is for. That's what further training is for. We want these to be men who can continue the use of their uh, trigger fingers, uh, and hold a gun st- steady as they're going into battle. But these are the men, even these men. Uh, these are no militiamen. Uh, even these men have lost the use of their hands. You could imagine standing there in the tiger's den uh, when one of the men outside says, uh, she's coming back. Mama's returning, right? Suddenly it's like, give me that ear tag. Give me that ear tag. Hold the tool still. Come on get hold of that cat. You know, you'd be, uh, you'd be shaking like crazy. You could hardly get it done. Just put it down. Put it in the bag. Let's go. We need to get out. We need to get out now. They've lost the use of their hands. They've been brought to nothing. Who may stand once you are angry? Who may stand? And what makes the Lord angry? Let's make sure we don't, we don't miss this, right? He, you, are, you, dwell in, you dwell in the midst of your people. You have made that your lair. And who may stand when once you are angry? And what makes the Lord to rouse himself like a man, like a drunken man out of his sleep? Um, uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have it. Uh, it, is, it is those who, uh, who predate his people. It is those who come to um, destroy and bring down his, his beloved, his bride, you. The Lord sees. Verse 8, you've caused judgment from heaven, and the earth feared and was still, and God arose to judgment to save the humble of the earth. Don't miss that. Uh, it speaks of judgment, and when we hear judgment, we think like, if somebody says, don't judge me. They don't mean, um, don't think kind thoughts about me out loud in front of other people, right? Um, They mean, you know, don't look down on me. Uh, Don't assume that I did something or I'm worse than you. Uh, But that isn't all judgment is. Judgment isn't only the the gavel coming down and the bar is closing. Judgment is also um, declaring not guilty. Judgment is also vindicating innocence. Uh, If you are slandered publicly... And you know that uh, when the facts come out, uh, you will be, um, uh, dis- these charges will be dismissed. You look forward to the day in court. You look forward to the day when the judge says, you know, we're throwing this out, there's nothing to this, and uh, he openly vindicates you in a public fashion. You look forward to the day when all those who have accused you and said, you think you're better than us, you think you're a Christian, you think there's something different, Uh, You're no different than us. You look forward to the day when the Lord has you stand up and he says, this one's mine. I've been making him glorious. I've been making him like myself. He's nothing like you, and I've loved him. And on that great day, you will be vindicated openly. His sins are forgiven. Her sins are forgiven. But it will also be the day When judgment, your salvation, results in judgment. Um, When the Lord saves his people, he does so by destroying his enemies. When the Lord arose to judgment to save the humble of the earth, I think it's... It's hard for us to think about why it would be nice as Christians to be glad when judgment comes down on some. And I think that is a nicety of our Western situation and makes us feel like there are no real dangers. Um, And even that's not true for many people. It's true for many of us who live in very comfortable situations, but life is dangerous and There is real wickedness, and um, whenever we find out that human trafficking rings have been broken up and uh, those in charge have been sentenced, uh, you don't feel bad that someone was judged. You feel glad that they're no longer uh, gathering up little girls, that they're no longer on the street. Uh, You can celebrate with your friends and family, that that wickedness no longer stalks the night. And you can celebrate that uh, those children are free. And that's not a lack of kindness in your Christian heart. It's a desire for the safety of the innocent, of the humble. Then it says, For the wrath of man shall praise you, and with a remnant of wrath you will gird yourself this language uh i think it evokes you know what is true in the psalms all scripture has a single meaning but uh and what is true throughout much of the scriptures is the lord is using language that is uh full it's not that it means many things but it evokes images that uh that uh, don't just communicate like a single piece of data um it 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 paints a picture and uh here this language, for the wrath of man, shall praise you. on Not just on the last day, but even now. That which, is, uh, that which is torn down, destroyed, and opposed. You know, very few people look back, even the most secular of historians, and say Genghis Khan was a, a, a fine man of his day, right? Like, even, even the the worst of us don't look at that and say, like, you know, the man built up and, uh, and what a great man of humanity. Uh, you know, that which was great back then is, is seen very clearly by almost all to be nothing but destruction that moved across most of Asia and Europe. And that continues to happen. Uh, that the Lord continues to not only bring down, but to, um, uh, to remove. And what seems so strong, what held so many under its sway, uh, falls, uh, looks foolish and um, all of its strength and everything it once was able to do only speaks to the glory of the one who destroyed it. Um, and that which seems to remain, you know, there will be on the last day as we're standing there before the Lord, there will be that which seems to have gone undealt with. Like, uh, Lord, you let this continue for so long. And, uh, you know, they, they seem to die a happy man. And they left a legacy of writing and books that uh, continued to delude millions after their death. And uh, uh, they're nine times the size of our church. I mean, Lord, what, what about this? Even what remains... Even what seems to go unchecked and unchallenged, even that will be dealt with. Will, will not, uh, the wheel of the Lord grinds slow, but it grinds fine. And nothing gets through. Or what remains of wrath? And here we see the, the, the soldier coming out of battle, the smoke clearing. And here it is, uh, the Lord Jesus, who is this coming out of Basra with his robes dipped in blood, who is this one who has been treading the winepress of the wrath of God with the the the, uh, the smear of battle still sprayed across him, having destroyed, having overcome, having redeemed you, uh, and here he comes back. no longer is it the one who has beautiful feet and who declares glad tidings to Zion and who says your God reigns now it is. Uh, uh, Noel, the Lord with us, who is coming forward to tell you it is finished. And you can see on his very robes what it cost and what was done. They can't hurt you anymore. They're done. Or the trophies. You know, you meet a man from the bayou and what's around his neck. What's on his hat? What comes around the brim of his hat, right? And you, uh, you see the gator's teeth. You say, did you kill that? Or did you get it in a, a souvenir shop, right? I don't know. We're in Texas now. I don't have any snakeskin boots. But uh, I would imagine that uh, you can get a pair of snakeskin boots here, right? And if you were a real uh, cattle puncher, you'd, maybe you killed your own snake, right? And this is what happens to the rattlesnakes that... Uh, Give my cows any trouble uh, it's the trophy, right? Uh, yeah, we caught a you know nine foot rattlesnake out back, and uh, this is what this is what we did with it. Here are the boots here are the teeth. Uh, this is the business end of the crocodile that tried to take my left hand, and now I just wear them as a trophy uh, what's with what remains of the greatest that the Man can do will be but a trophy to the exceeding uh, greatness of your Lord Jesus Christ. So, who are you going to live for? How are you going to live? What are you going to give yourself to? Um, you're going to give yourself to revenge? You're going to give yourself to anger? You're going to try to do his job better than him? You're going to try to uh, spend your life obsessed with uh, uh, living in the past and uh, reliving uh, pains and wrongs and uh, stewing on what you would do if you ever saw those people again. Um, You're going to spend your life um, destroying your life. Or are you going to give yourself to what your king says he wants you doing? Because he's taking care of this. And he's going to do it better than you ever could. More completely than you ever could. So it says, make your vows to the Lord and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring him gifts, for he is to be feared. You you can give yourself to hospitality. You think, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and you want me to invite people over for dinner? Yes, you can give yourself to hospitality. Because we, with confidence, know that the Lord is taking care of the rest of it. You can give yourself to kindness, to child raising, to your marriage. The Lord is going to take care of the rest of it. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us a great sense of calmness and, and, uh, and even when we think about politics, when we think about Uh, abortion, when we think about the wars in other lands, when we think about human trafficking, when we think about uh, that which is uh, seducing and uh, pulling away our children and our grandchildren, uh, Lord, that we might not uh, get so bent up uh, that um, we fail to do what you've given us. Lord, that we would not be discontent with the service that you've called us to do, uh, but rather, Lord, that we would, with, uh, with uh, great peace, know that um, judgment is your work and you will take care of it and you protect your own with fierceness. And that, Lord, we can uh, gladly render any service to you, that you ask, that we would content ourselves and entrust ourselves to you in that service with the confidence of knowing uh, vengeance is yours, that you will repay. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.